0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Welcome. Good to see everyone. We're going to be in Nehemiah 10. I'm going to start in verse 28. I'll read down to verse... 39. Nehemiah chapter 10, starting at verse 28. <clears throat> I've changed my message about three times this week, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, All who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, a servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of our shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of God. We, the priests, the Levites, the people, likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring into the house of our God, according to our fathers' houses at times appointed year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our, first fruits of our gaunt, ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also, to bring to the house of God the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priest, to the chamber of the house of our God. And to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes, when the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes of the house of our God to the chamber of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeeper and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Let's pray together one more time. I'm going to pray for you if you will pray for me. Father, I thank you so much for every man, woman, and child who is here today. It is evidence of your grace that uh, once again you sustained us through the night while we did nothing. And so today's a gift and we give you praise for it. And I ask that right now that through the teaching of your word that it'll be more than just communication or a talk from a Uh, an earthly man like myself, but that we truly will encounter your presence. And so we pray that you will speak, and Holy Spirit, you will move, and that you will use what we were about to do now to transform us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. A couple of years ago, my wife and I purchased a home in Carriage Hills. And one of the things we liked about this particular house is it was move-in ready. So we didn't have to do a lot of work on the inside of the house. However, the outside left a little to be desired, uh, specifically talking about the yard. The yard was so bad that we had some old neighbors help us move, and their six-year-old daughter, when she looked at the yard, said, and I quote, this is the worst yard ever, okay? <laughs> and so uh, clearly, uh, being a three on the Enneagram, cared about my image. I was like, I got to do something about this. And so um, under the supervision of a sod farmer here in town, I actually sprayed all of the weeds with Roundup, not once, not twice, but three different times. And then after that, I borrowed this massive like, red tiller, and I tilled up my entire front yard, which... Obviously attracted several jokes from my new neighbors like hey, what you growing there farmer and things like that as they would like drive by true story And so but I tilled up the, the ground. I took the ridicule I didn't care like I had a vision of what I wanted my yard to be So I tilled it up and then I went and I purchased zoysia grass got a good deal on some zoysia grass Which is supposed to be kind of the cadillac of all grasses that you can have in your lawn And so with the help of harrison wilkins uh, And carl reeves we laid uh, I think it was like eight zoysia pallets in our front yard within a couple hours And so after that, I got on the University of Arkansas's uh, Zoysia calendar, which you can do that for Bermuda or anything, and you can find out uh, how to actually fertilize your yard and water it and when to spray for weeds and all that. So I followed it to a T. I mean, I cared for my yard the best that I could. And as a result, this time last year, we have a picture of this. Uh, This is what my yard looked like, all right? That's where you go, ah, yeah, that's nice, right? Like you want to take a nap on that, man. It's green, it's lush, it's thick. It looked great. However, last year around August, we went into a drought, and uh, I kind of, you know, got off of the calendar that I was supposed to be on. I didn't really uh, care for my yard the way I was supposed to. I neglected it in several areas, and as of two weeks ago, here's what this lawn looks like. Does that not make your heart grieve, Luke? He has zoysia grass. It's bad. Yeah, it's actually getting a little bit better now. But as of two weeks ago. That's what it looks like. Let's just see a side-by-side comparison, okay? So, so look at that. I mean, on, on the left, you have a lush, green, vibrant yard. On the right... Because I neglected my yard, what happened is I sent a culture off to the University of Arkansas. What happened is my soil contracted a fungus, and it began to spread throughout my yard. So on the right, you have life. It's in, I mean, on the left, it's, 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 it's life. It's inviting. But on the right, I mean, it's literally the antithesis of what you see on the left. Because the culture of my soil had become infected Literally, right, as you can see, a yard that was once flourishing and filled with life began to shrivel up and die. And the whole reason I even want to share that with you this morning, the point I want to make is as important as it is, obviously, to protect the culture of a soil so a yard can thrive, it is far more important for us to guard the culture of our own souls so that this faith community can thrive. We live in a day. We live in a day where because of things like social media and marketing and lies from a post-Christian society that we now live in and our own unrepentant sin, where there are things that constantly can creep into our lives and as a result, absolutely infect and corrupt the vibrant, life-giving, flourishing culture that God wants to create in our midst. And you see, because... The people of Nehemiah know this is true because they know they cannot experience life and beauty in a rotten culture. They say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to come together. We're going to make a covenant. We're going to make a commitment to guard a holy culture among us so that we can grow up into the men and women God has created us to be. And so we see, for example, in uh, chapter 9, verse 28, which we didn't read earlier, but they say, you know what, because of the steadfast love of God, because of what he's done for us, because he has brought us out of exile and back into our home, because he has continued to love us and continue to pursue us, because he has uh, given us the resources we need to rebuild our temple and the wall around us, they say in chapter 9, verse 28, we make a firm covenant with one another. And we put it into writing. And what is that covenant? They come in verse 29 and they say, we enter, chapter 10, verse 29, we enter into an oath to walk in God's law that was given through Moses and to do all that God has commanded us to do. So these people are serious about a holy culture they say, you know what, we just finished building the wall, we just finished building this wall around the city of Jerusalem, but they're like, you know what, what good is it if we are protected from our enemies outside the wall if we have a holy or an unholy culture within the wall? And so what do they do? They, they make a covenant. And, and the first thing that we see they do, and I want you to, 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 to pick up on this, there's three things we see them do to try to create and protect a holy culture. And the first thing they do is they say, if we're going to guard a holy culture within this faith community, we need to be a people that are committed to holy relationships. If you look in verse 30, they say, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land Or take their daughters for our sons. Now, this would have been very challenging because, as we've talked about before, in the context of the story, the people of Israel are in the middle of extreme financial hardship. They are being taxed beyond comprehension by the the king of Persia. They're in the middle of a famine. And what they could have done is built an alliance with other Gentile pagan neighbors. They could have married them or given their sons and daughters in marriage so that they could be financially supported. And yet, however, what we see here is they say, because God has commanded us not to do this, we are not going to give our sons and daughters away to marry those who worship a God different than us. The reality is... Because we have been created by a relational God, please hear me, we are designed for and defined by our relationships. In other words, the people that we let into our lives, for better or worse, absolutely shape us into the kind of people that we become. And what we discover is that the closer the people are in relationship to us, the deeper the impact that person will have on our lives. Because God knows this is true, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I will read it to you. You can turn there. You can look on the screen if you want. But in Deuteronomy chapter 7, this is years before the people uh, we see make this covenant in Nehemiah. And here's what God says to them, or what Moses commands of the people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of, it, and clears away the many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the seven nations were numerous and mightier than you. When the Lord your God gives them over to you, and you defeat them, Then look at this. Then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show them no mercy. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. Let me just say this real quick. I don't know if you were like me, but growing up in the South, I used to hear all the time, if you're white, you shouldn't marry black. If you're black, you shouldn't marry white. And the reason why is because the Bible says you shouldn't intermarry. Anybody else ever hear that growing up? Um, That's not at all what this passage is saying, just to be clear. okay? God says in here, not that you shouldn't marry someone of another race. He says don't marry someone with another God. That's what he's getting at. That's what he says will corrupt you. He says, you shall deal with them when you enter into the lands, the people who worship these false gods. You shall break down their altars and dash into pieces their pillars and chop, them, chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. Why? Verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And why did God choose Israel? Is it because they were just amazing and really impressive? no. Verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But the reason the Lord chose you is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Um, <clears throat> whenever I was 21 years old, I just started following Jesus. And I met this girl who I thought was cute, and she was a lot of fun, so I thought, I'm going to date her. Problem was, she wasn't a follower of Jesus. And so I told myself at the time, and I told my friends, um, I'm like, man, I call this missional dating. You know, it's like, I'm going to lead her to Jesus through our relationship. I'm going to like pull her towards Christ. However, the opposite happened. I mean, almost immediately, the relationship became incredibly impure and... and um, I mean, honestly, what happened in the relationship is it robbed me of my confidence in God. I mean, it was hard for me to pray. I didn't want to read my Bible. I couldn't enjoy being a part of a church service like this because I knew I was living in sin. And as a result of that, eventually I had to break off the relationship because it was robbing me of my affections towards God. And you see, because God knows this is a temptation for all people, including the people of Israel, he says, look, when you get into the new land, you need to be really careful about the kind of relationships, the kind of company that you keep. He says, whenever you get into Canaan, he says, because I've chosen you to be my holy people, you need to make sure that you prioritize holy relationships. And guys, the same is true for us today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Do not become partners with those who reject God. He then asked the question, how can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. He asked this question, is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Just to be clear in here, Paul's not saying that we should not ever try to build a relationship with a non-Christian. We know that's true. We know that's not what he's saying here because in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, whenever an unbeliever invites you over their house, you can go over there and you can eat what they lay before you. But what he is saying is you better be very careful about the kind of relationships you forge to make sure that they do not pull you away and corrupt the kind of culture God wants to create within your own heart. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus teaching on the relationships that we are to have within the church. He says, if your brother or sister is in sin, you go to them and you call them to repent. If you see a brother or sister in this church in sin, you are to lovingly and graciously and privately, not publicly, but privately, call that out. And some of you are like, well, I just don't think that's true. I mean, we'll just read the scriptures. Paul says, I have no business judging those outside the church, but I only judge those inside the church. We are, Jesus says, to go to people who are in sin and say, brother, sister, I know the kind of man or the kind of woman you want to be. I've seen what you put, for example, in your membership renewal and what you believe Christ is calling you to, but you're walking out of step with that. And therefore, I want to call you to walk in the ways of Jesus. And what Christ tells us in Matthew 18 is if they repent of that, then you've won a brother or sister. But if they refuse to repent, Jesus says, then you take two or three more and say, Sister, brother, we care about you. We love you. We don't want to see you head in this direction. And Jesus says if they still refuse to repent, you know what he says you do next? He says you remove them from the community of faith. You remove them from the church. And if that seems harsh, the reason for that is in Second Corinthians 12, the Bible says, and think of how crazy this is, that we as members of the church, and I'm only talking to members here, by the way, if you're not a member or you're an unbeliever, I'm not talking to you right now. If I'm talking to members of the church, if you are a member of the church, you are a member that makes up the body of Christ. And therefore, if you're like, what I do should be none of your business. Well, the Bible says different because what the Bible says, what you do absolutely impacts my life and my kids, and my wife, and it impacts the person next to you, and so what you do is our business, and what I do is your business, right? If a member of our own body, right, your finger, your foot, whatever it is, if it's infected, it impacts the rest of your body if you do nothing about it. I remember whenever I was in eighth grade, I think it was my 14th birthday, maybe 13th, I was about to blow out the candles, and all of a sudden, my dad got a, a call from St. Bernard said, we want you to come down to the hospital. They ran some tests on him. They found out that he had had cancer. Started in one area of his body, went undetected for about six months, and because of it, it spread through different parts of his body. Fortunately, he was able to take chemotherapy. He's doing great today. In fact, uh, two weeks from the day, he's going to be preaching right here at Fellowship on Father's Day, and so isn't that going to be kind of cool? So, um, Some of you are like, I don't know. I don't know your father, but... Um, <laughs> I'm a, little ner- I'm a little nervous about it. He usually wears a suit and tie and has a little bit different preaching style, but he loves Jesus, and I'm, ex- I'm glad to have him on Father's Day. Be sure he'd come for that. But, um, you know, here's the thing. If we would have left that cancer where it started small again, if we had left that unchecked and unabated eventually, it would have wrecked his whole body. The same is true when it comes to the church. And this is why, by the way, you have pastors, In Hebrews, the Bible says that literally as pastors, we have to give watch over your souls, that we guard your souls as though who will give an account to God someday. Do you realize the Bible says you need someone to watch over your soul? You need someone to help guard and protect you. This is why one of the things that's really unique about fellowship is you cannot be a member of this church and not be a part of a missional community. Some people have balked at that. Usually when you have membership classes, we'll have people that never come back because of that reality. They don't get it. I mean, they can go to any other church in Paragol, and you can be a member of the church without being in some sort of a small group. For us, we're just like, that's dangerous. Like, I I can't, I mean, how do I have a clue what's going on in your lives right now? I don't know most of you. I mean, I know of you. I know your names. I see you know your kids. I don't know what's going on in your life. It's why we tell you, like, you need a missional community. You need, we strongly encourage you to get involved in a fight club because the reality is we're all prone to wonder. We're all prone to let sin come into our life. And because your sin impacts not just your life, but the life of others in this church, we want to be very careful not to let habitual, unrepentant sin go undetected. Because we want to be careful to protect the culture that God wants to create here so that we can experience the life God wants us to experience. So that's what we see happening right here. The people of Israel, they say, we want to guard a holy culture. And the first thing they say is because of this, we're going to commit to keeping holy relationships. But then secondly, they say, not only are we going to guard a holy culture through holy relationships, but we're also going to do it by observing holy rhythms. If you look in verse 31, it goes on and they say, And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Again, remember, the people of Israel are in financial insecurity. They're in trouble here financially. So if you're here and you feel like, man, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs or I'm just living like paycheck to paycheck. Like You can somewhat relate with what is going on here. And despite the fact that they are struggling financially, they say in verse 31, look at this, they say, because we believe God's commands always lead to life, because we want to walk by faith rather than sight, we're going to keep the Sabbath. In Exodus 20, the fourth commandment God gave the people of Israel, as he said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so a lot of this... They say, you know, we're going to get into a rhythm where for one day out of every week, we're going to push pause on our work. We are going to schedule a time in once a week where we just rest in the fact that because God is in control, we don't have to be. We're going to, they said, establish a rhythm where for a whole day, we don't buy anything, we don't sell anything, we don't try to work to prosper ourselves. We're going to set up a rhythm where we're for 24 hours, every single week, we're just going to reflect and rejoice in who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. So we're just not going to work. Everybody else is working, trying to do the thing. We're, not, we're going to reject that. And then not only that, but look at this. This is what's crazy to me. As they say, not only are we going to set up a rhythm every week of Sabbathing, we're going to do this every year. Or once a year for every seven years. So, so imagine this. Every time seven years rolls around, some of you are like, I would love this actually. We just say, we're not going to work for the whole year. I'm not going to till my land. I'm not going to sow seeds. I'm not going to harvest. I'm not going to make my servants work for a whole year. I'm just going to sit back and say, God, you're in control. I'm not. I'm just going to be reminded of that truth that everything I have comes from your hands. So there's just going to be a rhythm. Every seven years, I'm just not going to work. And then not only that, but, but they say we're also, because of what God has done for us, because he's been so good for us, it says in here every seven years, we're going to get into a rhythm where we forgive every one of their debts just as God has forgiven us. And you're like, that sounds awesome. Like those of you who have student loans, like that is sweet. So like Every seven years, it would just be like, hey, whatever you couldn't pay back in your student loans, you're clear of that. But what about whenever people owe you? And like like If you owe me a couple thousand dollars, seven years, man. That's cool. Like you're free of that. You don't actually have to pay that back. That's what the, the rhythms that they set up in their life. And I want you to just think about how different this culture is as opposed to the culture that we live in today. I mean, you think about our rhythms. So many of us, if we can be honest, we're just sucked into the tyranny of overwork. And as a result, we're frazzled. We're frustrated. We're emotionally exhausted. We're frantically running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, trying to make money, trying to keep up with society, trying to just... But in Nehemiah chapter 10, they sit back and they breathe, and they say, you know what? We're not going to live that way. We're not going to get sucked into this. We're not going to get sucked into how the world says we need to live. We are going to guard a holy culture where God wants to grow us up into the men and women he's created us to be, and we're going to do that by establishing holy rhythms. And so what you have now is you have a culture of holy relationships. You have holy rhythms. And then lastly, because they want to protect a holy culture, when it comes to the presence of God, they say we will also live with a holy reverence. That's three R's, by the way, guys. It took me about an hour to figure out that third R, just so you know. So um, look at verse 32 through 39 real quickly again. I want to read this, and I want you to just count how many times you see the phrase, the house of the Lord or the house of God. Verse 32: We take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offerings, the regular burnt offerings, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring into the house of our God. Goes on verse 35: We obligate ourselves to bring first fruits of our ground, and the first fruit of all fruit to every tree, or by every tree, year by year, to the house of our Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priest who minister in the house of our God. Go on in verse 37, it says, And we bring of our dough and contributions the fruit of every tree, the wine and oil to the priest of the chambers of the house of our God. And then we see it again in verse 38, And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be the Levites, when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God. And finally... At the end of verse 39, we will not neglect the house of our God. For the people in Nehemiah 10, the house of the Lord, the house of God, the temple, listen guys, was at the center of their lives because it is the temple where the presence of God dwelt. They said, and I love this in verse 39, we will not neglect the house of our God. We will not neglect the presence of God in our lives. That word neglect is a tragic word, isn't it? Some of you grew up in homes where your parents neglected you. And you know how devastating that can be. I think about a church, it's Holly Grove Baptist Church. It's in Halliday, Arkansas. My wife and I drove by it a few years ago on four-wheelers. We have a picture of that, Ryan, by chance. Yeah, there it is. That church was one time filled with a group of people whenever it first started, and then 40, 50 years later, right because it was neglected. I mean, now it's a horse barn. right? Like These are the devastating effects of neglecting things in our life. And so because of this, the people in the MITN says, because we have such a deep respect and reverence for the presence of God, we will do whatever it takes for us to experience more of him. So we will not neglect the house of our Lord. I wonder this morning, like, is the same true of you as you sit here this morning? Is it true of you that more than anything else, that more than you revere anyone or anything, that you revere God? Is it true of you that you want Him more than anything or anyone else at the center of your life? And one way that you can answer this, and I I hate to do this to you, but also I wanted this out of love, one of the ways that you can answer that question, one of the easiest ways, is by looking how you spend your money. Tim Keller once said that money flows most effortlessly to that which is its God. In verse 35, the people says, We will obligate ourselves to give of our first fruits Where? To the house of God. In other words, because God's presence is more important to us than anything, because we revere him above anyone or anything else, we're going to make sure that we give to God, not what's left over, but right off the top. We're taking it to the temple. We're taking it to the house of God because his presence and his purposes is that important in our lives. And by the way, I'll just say this. uh, Some of you are like, man, that's an Old Testament principle, man. Like, we don't have the temple anymore. You're right. We don't have an old temple. It's in a building. But we do have the new temple. Anybody know where the new temple is? It's right here. It's us. That passage I read in 2 Corinthians 6, it says that we are now as the people of God, as the church, the new temple. This is where Jesus, this is where God manifests himself more clearly and uniquely than anywhere else in his creation. And so we should take this seriously. Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. This is right in the middle of a context where people are struggling with anxiety. And Jesus says, you know, they're, they're worried about, hey, what am I going to do for a job? How am I going to eat? Uh, where, where am I going to get my clothes from? Where am I going to get my food from so I can feed the family? And Jesus says, hey, you want to deal with your anxiety? Seek first the kingdom of God. And trust that when you do, that all these things that you need will be added unto you. God says, trust that I'll take care of you. Give to me first. Trust me. Put me to the test, he says, in Malachi, and just see what I will do. If we can be honest, we live in a culture in the religious south where I think everybody in this room would say they want to make God a part of their lives. The question is, do you want to make God the center of your life? I think for many of us in the religious South, we would say, we want to give God a part of our lives. The question is, do you want to reorient all of your life around him? This is what we see right here in Nehemiah chapter 10. But actually, what's interesting is just a few years before this, the people of Israel were not centering their lives on God. We see that by how they were handling their finances. And I want you to hear what the prophet Haggai says to them. The prophet Haggai in in, in chapter 1 Starting in verse 4, reading through verse 11, I'll put it on the screen. If you don't want to try to find Haggai, if you do find it, then you're, you're probably holy yourself. Because if you know where Haggai is, and spend a lot of time in the scriptures. The prophet Haggai, speaking to the people of Israel, says this, It is time for you yourselves, or is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, while this house, talking about the temple, lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider how you're spending your money. Consider how you're spending your time and your energy. He says, you've sown much and you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus, the Lord of hosts says, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain and the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. Hey, that's a bad day in church, folks. <laughs> Can we disagree with that? Like You get that message, like that's a bad day in church. The people are like, man, we're working so hard to build a life for ourselves. We're working like crazy and nothing is happening. I'm still not satisfied. And God is like, yeah, because you've disordered your priorities. Seek first, Jesus says, my kingdom. Revere me above all else. Give to me your first fruits. Love me first. Look to me first. Pursue my empowering presence before anything else. And then, he says, you will be satisfied. Then you will be blessed. This is what Haggai says to the people of Israel. How do they respond? We see, right, Nehemiah 10. They say, we're going to form holy relationships, we're going to observe holy rhythms, and we're going to live with the holy reverence when it comes to the presence of God in our lives. And as a result, they're going to do the best they can, we see here, to cultivate and protect a holy culture where they can grow and they can experience a vibrant and flourishing life that they were created to experience. This is such an important word for us today, fellowship. I can't think of anything that is more important than culture. And I'm not just talking about the culture around us. I'm talking about the culture among us. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about this this past week. And really, Adam can tell you over the last several months. As a church, do you realize we're supposed to be like a spiritual greenhouse? Like there are things that should be growing in here. Like the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. There are things that should be growing in here that don't grow out there. Um. Anybody in here get a chance to see the movie The Martian with Matt Damon? Anybody? Surprisingly good movie. Um, Basically what happens in in the movie is Matt Damon is stranded on Mars. No one is there to help him. um, And he has to figure out a way to survive. And so what does he do, right? He decides to plant a vegetable garden on his spaceship. And so, yeah, there it is. So the conditions are so harsh in Mars... Right? That that nothing can grow. But however, Matt Damon figures out how to get the culture just right. And as a result, life begins to burst forth. That's a picture of what the church should be like. The church should be so committed to cultivating and guarding a holy culture that people, that members of this church are flourishing and thriving and producing so much fruit that God can't help but get glory for what's going on here. And that, by the way, is the point of the greenhouse. You know, I, I took horticulture in high school. I don't remember much from it, but I do remember this, that we would start growing tomato plants and all of that in a greenhouse in the winter months. And the whole point was to get it to where you could take it out of that atmosphere and put it somewhere else, and it could repopulate and bless other people. That should be the goal of the church, right? It's not just we want to grow for our own sake, but it's to be able to move out there so that we can grow and produce more fruit that produces more fruit so that more people can experience the real Jesus. So the good news of the gospel can spread to the broken and the burnout and the hopelessly lost. And so in light of that, what I just want to do as we close this morning is this. Listen, I absolutely believe, well, we would not have planted this church if we didn't believe this. I believe the culture of the city can and should be radically altered by the culture of this church in a good way. But the culture of this church is absolutely impacted by the culture of our own hearts. And so the question I just want to ask you as we begin to close this morning is this. What is right now the culture of your heart? What is that thing, when you think about your time and your talents and your treasures, what is that thing right now that you are centering your life on? When you think about what's going on in your life right now, what is it that you truly are reorienting all of your life around. What is the culture of your heart? And if you're here today and you can be honest and say, man, it's not Jesus. Like he's not the center of my life. Like I don't have really a good God-honoring culture, right? I'm not producing the fruit that I should be producing in my life. What I want to ask you to do right now, just lovingly, is to repent of that. It's not sit in shame and guilt, right? Jesus already knows it's there. Right, And so just confess that to the Lord. Take that to him. And to repent, by the way, doesn't just mean I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. To repent literally means to have a change in heart that leads to a change in behavior. And you saw my yard. Fortunately, my yard is getting better over the last two weeks. And you know why? Because I repented of my mistakes. I repented of neglecting my yard. I have begun to do the right. I haven't just looked and said, oh, okay, I set my results off and I have a fungus in my soil. Okay, sorry about that. Right? No. I said, okay, what do I have to do to get rid of the fungus? Oh, I need this pesticide. Okay, I'll get it. What else I need to do? I need to put that fertilizer. Okay, I'll begin to do it. Okay, I need to get the thatch out. Okay, I'll begin to rake and I'll do that. But that's what repentance looks like. And so for you, in a spiritual sense, maybe for some of you today, in light of what we're talking about, it means ending a relationship. Some of you, maybe you're in a corrupt relationship in your high school, uh, in the dating sense. Maybe some of you men in here, you're looking at Pornography. You're literally opening the door to Satan in your home and in the life of our church. And you repent of that. Get the right software on your computer, whatever you have to do. For some of you in here, it doesn't mean any relationship. It means stepping into a deeper relationship. Because we are formed by the people we hang out with, you need the church. Right? I need you. You need me. You need to be around other people who are following after Jesus. So for you, you need to step out of the shadows and get involved in a missional community. Or maybe if you're in a missional community, go a little bit deeper by getting involved in a fight club. For some of you here today, uh, what repentance looks like for you is to begin to establish some holy rhythms in your life like we see from the people of Israel. Maybe it means for 24 hours a day, you're going to Sabbath. Can you imagine that? are like, I'm just not going to work. I'm not going to check my email. I'm not going to respond to texts about work. I'm, not going to, I'm just going to rest, and I'm just going to focus on the goodness of God in my life. Maybe for some of you, it means waking up 10 minutes earlier so you can spend time in silence and solitude or reading the scripture. Maybe for some of you, it means that you're going to actually commit to being here every single week. Just so you know, like as pastors... Like that is an expectation for the members, not saying we don't go on vacation, not saying, I mean, I was, I was actually in St. Louis last week, so I wasn't even here last week. But we want to make a commitment as members to be here every single week if we can, not just when the stars align just right, but to actually begin to like reorient our lives and say, this is an important part of life. Maybe that's what that means for you. And I could go on and on, but here's just my point. If we're going to be a church with a holy culture where life is bursting forth, and who doesn't want that? We need that. Our city needs that. If we're going to be that kind of culture, we need to be a church that is filled with the holy people. And I'm not saying a perfect people. Don't misunderstand me. Nobody in here is perfect except for Jesus Christ. I'm just talking about people who say, I'm going to take personal responsibility for pursuing holiness. I'm not going to become content with certain unconfessed habitual sin in my life. And one way that we just pursue holiness every single week, and maybe you don't see it this way, but it's, it's certainly an act of that, is we partake of communion. And here's what I want you to think of this week as you partake of communion, is I want you to remember this truth. What communion reminds us of is that we no longer have to go to a temple to make sacrifices so that we can experience the presence of God but rather because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on our behalf, because he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He has now actually made us holy before God so that his very presence can dwell within us. Isn't that a crazy thought? I was telling some people in our... Um, we were taking communion a while ago, and I was telling them I went to the mosque on, on, on Friday night. I went to mass... Last Sunday, y'all, in St. Louis. I went to the mosque on Friday. Someone's like, No wonder you have so many rumors that go around about you, man. In paragon. And so uh, I just want to check it out. I was curious, I want to see what it was all about. I went to the mosque with some with some guys that our missional community is trying to reach that are refugees, and they came to our Easter service. I was like, I'll go with you to the mosque. You know what i do when I walked into the mosque? I had to take my shoes off, right? That's holy ground. I was like, oh, that's like, ah, it's a big deal, right? You've seen that in the scripture, whatever. So I'd take my shoes off. Then I had to go into this bathroom, put on these flip-flops, I had to wash my hands three different times. I had to wash behind my ears, I had to wash in my ears I'm like, my hands aren't clean anymore now Just put them in my ear, right? But then you had to get, you had to wash your mouth with the water You got, whatever, you spit it out You had to wash my hair, right? I had to wash my arms And then, like, they tried to get me to get my leg up on the the vanity But because my jeans were too tight I couldn't do it, seriously And so, like, I'm trying trying to get me I had to wash my legs, but I couldn't do it I'm like, I'm sorry, man It's like, all right. so But you had to do all of that Just to be able to enter into their temple What's amazing, man, is literally we take it so for granted as Christians is our theology tells us Jesus, because of his rituals, because of his sacrifice, because of what he's done, has already given us access right now to the presence of God. We're holy before him. In Hebrews ten fourteen, it says, By a single sacrifice, God has made us holy for all time. So if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've trusted in his perfect life, death, and resurrection, I want you to come. Here's what I want you to remember. In a message like this, what you could do As you could leave here in guilt and shame and go, I'm going to try harder to be holier. You were already holy in Christ. Now just be who God's created you to be. Be who you are in Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. If you're trusting in Him today, come. we got two stations in the front, two in the back. You can tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. We have a gluten-free option for you back there. If you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you have not been made holy, you do not have access to the presence of God, You are like the person in Haggai who is working your tail off. And you are not satisfied, and you know it. You're lonely, and you're hurting, and you're exhausted. And maybe you're building up a big bank account, maybe you've got a nice house, but one of these days you're going to draw your last breath on earth, and you're going to leave it all behind, and that'll be it. The invitation from Christ today is to come to him. Don't come and partake of communion, partake of Christ and experience the salvation and the satisfaction that you're longing for.